0: Hello and welcome to Pocket Therapist. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Moore, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. I'm going to teach you everything I've learned over the last 13 years as a therapist to help maximize the value you get out of your relationships. Hello everybody, welcome to episode 15. It's been a little bit longer than I've usually taken between episodes, but we've had a lot going on. And I'm back in the studio with my wife, Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hi. Hi. And today we're going to cover a very personal topic. We're going to talk about infertility and pregnancy loss today. And it's a personal topic for us because we have dealt with both Mm -hmm. issues. And uh, we've got, I think, a pretty important story to tell about our experience. And I think it's uh, relevant for anybody who's listening because whether you've experienced it yourself and uh, want some solidarity with some other people who have gone through this, or you know, some people have experienced either miscarriages, pregnancy loss of of some form or another, um, stillbirth. The the design of this episode is to help you know better how to help people and how to avoid some of the sort of traps I think people get into when they're trying to be supportive and help. So that's what we're tackling today. And uh, you ready to go, Lens? Sure, sure. She says, like <laughs> as if. <laughs> As if, like, I dragged her down and handcuffed her down here to, to do this episode. <laughs> Here's our story. We got married in 2005, in March of 2005. And we meet, within six months, we were off to Texas to graduate school. And I was in school full-time and working part-time, and you were working full-time, supporting mm-hmm. us. I don't know, maybe like a year into graduate school, we decided that we were ready to have kids right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you just get a flip a switch and just have kids. And, <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of people think. And for some people that is the experience like, okay, we're going to have kids now. There you go. I think the very first time that you were pregnant, it was, I don't know, it was pretty quick in that it was a, we found out it was a miscarriage like six weeks or it was eight weeks. It,
1: the, the first one was an eight week one where I ended up doing a whole bunch of blood tests to track hormone levels and they were declining or they weren't raising or rising as fast as they should have been.
0: A lot of people don't understand even that early on in the process, there is a lot of emotional content that happens for people. Most people, you know, maybe somebody, maybe some people go through it and they really, they don't think it affects them. But for most people, when you start getting excited about the idea that you're going to have a baby, mm mm-hmm. Even a loss that early on before you even see an ultrasound can really be devastating.
1: Yeah, for well, people, especially for for the person carrying the pregnancy, they're already sick and exhausted and they're seeing physical changes and so then they're already attached to having put the work in and like invested in a baby. So.
0: Right. We went through that experience, and I think what's the percentage? Like one in four pregnancies That's results in a one miscarriage. In three. Yeah. yeah, it's extremely high. It's really, really common. So I think obviously a sizable chunk of people who uh, either have children or want to have children have probably experienced at least one miscarriage. Mm-hmm.
1: Some people don't know. Like that; those were numbers that we discussed with. R. O. B. And he just said, you know, a lot of, a lot of those pregnancies that are considered a miscarriage are really early on. They're something that somebody may be just like three or four days late for their period. And they, um, and then they start. And so they don't really know if they were pregnant or not. Um, so that makes up some of that percentage, but then some of them can be like two weeks later
0: or like with us where we were eight
1: weeks. Right.
0: So. so so maybe there are people that have experienced pregnancy loss and actually never even knew. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So then we okay. you know, the doctors basically said, well, try again and hopefully, hopefully yeah, it hopefully it sticks. Basically so, that's, that's so the, like
1: at eight weeks we found out that it wasn't a viable pregnancy and I did not have the best doctor experience with it. Um, I didn't feel like he was
0: super empathic. Yeah. Um, I I would second that experience. Yeah. His bedside manner was just dead. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it was not great. And so then we came back to... I wasn't miscarrying. And um, even though we knew that it wasn't going to be a successful pregnancy. And so we came back to Utah. And my doctor here told me that... Um, yes, in fact, it was going to be a miscarriage. He didn't know how long it would take to pass. And if it took too long, then I would have to have a DNC. And we just opted to see, to wait it out. And, um, and so I didn't have, I didn't actually have my miscarriage until we went back to Texas. And it was around 11 weeks.
0: So then a number of months later, and I don't remember exactly how long it was, uh, you found out, hey, were pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And I think there was some trepidation there for that second one, for yeah. sure. Like things change Yeah, once you've lost a pregnancy. You, oh, you, yeah. You're a little bit less uh, likely to just get super excited. It's like you almost want to wait to tell people right, right, until you've gotten past the point where the last pregnancy was lost. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And after you've been like through a bunch of blood tests and the waiting and the anxiety, it is really difficult to get excited about the whole process at all. (laughs) Right. So, and I don't know, I don't know that everybody experiences that, but I think it's pretty common that um, one or both partners experience a lot of anxiety about it as they're going into another pregnancy. So,
0: and I don't think at that point I was experiencing as much worry and anxiety as you were. Yeah. Probably because I was in like, Mr. Optimism mode or, or whatever it was. Right. And, and again, I don't, I, you know, as the husband doesn't experience the physical symptoms of the pregnancy. Yeah. And so there's a certain, there's a I, I've always had a certain disconnect until I start seeing the growth, you know, on the front of you. Then it's like, oh no, there really is a baby <laughs> right. in there. You know? And so this one was, uh, was, I, I w- I'm going to go ahead and say this experience that we're about to tell probably one of the most, if not the most painful experience of my life. Yeah. And and would you agree for yeah. yourself? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're into the pregnancy. We're probably, you know, close to four months in. And I, I was going to every single doctor's appointment with you, mm-hmm. every single Doppler ultrasound. I don't know if we had, we done any ultrasounds. Yeah. At that point, oh yeah. yeah.
1: Well, because so it started out good. We checked, like we we're. I went to a different doctor, and I. But then I ended up um, having a a bleeding episode where then we were terrified. We had been in to have an ultrasound to see if everything was okay. We'd been going to like maternal, maternal fetal medicine specialists um, and making sure that everything was growing appropriately, that the the issue that was causing the bleeding, which was a hemorrhage behind the placenta, that it was resolving itself and everything was looking good. But at that point, they'd already determined that I had part of the reason that I'd had that hemorrhage was because of my bicornuate uterus.
0: And so, so for, for people like almost everybody listening to this that has no idea what that means, it's basically a heart-shaped Uterus. Yeah. It has a little sort of divider yeah. at the top, right? Yeah. And the divider is made out of tissue that cannot sustain a pregnancy. Life, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we don't know exactly what happened in all these, but the theory is that maybe the implantation was happening on that.
1: Yeah. Or that the placenta was growing. As it grew, it was moving on to
0: that right. tissue that hadn't like a lack of blood flow. so Which was obviously creating some problems. And so, and of course, you know, we don't know a lot of this at the time. You know, we, we understand some things about it, but we don't know what it means or if it's going to cause some issues. So then there was one doctor's appointment. It was just it was supposed to be just a quick checkup. You are know, like th- things seem to be going better. Mm-hmm. Um, I was supposed to be, I was in graduate school to become a therapist. I had this supervision class I was supposed to be in. And, well,
1: and they just released me from bed rest, like four days before we'd gone in, had an ultrasound.
0: They told us what the gender was. So we knew we were having a boy. Yeah. And so it kind of felt like a, just a quick turnaround follow-up visit. Like, oh, it's fine. And and we just determined together, oh, I probably don't need to go to that. I can just go to my class. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, naturally. That's the one where everything goes south. So I'm in supervision, and suddenly my phone is just ringing off the hook. And uh, so I pull it out, and I see Lindsay's called a ton of times. I hadn't really noticed, or I can't remember what was going on. But you know, I I walk out in the hall, I pick up the phone, and you said, "Hey, they can't find a heartbeat. You got to get over here right now." Mm-hmm. So I jumped in the car, and it was a bit of a drive. It was probably 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah. To get there. So by the time I got there, they'd already taken you in, for and done, and done an ultrasound and done an ultrasound and yeah. basically, and if I'm remembering right, they weren't also very good. It was like <laughs> no, <laughs> and I don't know if this is like Texas in general or that city or that hospital or what was uh, yeah, going on. I
1: don't know. I don't know because yeah, it was kind of like for for a first time parent to be, um, it was it just felt so callous, you know, like yeah, and. And I don't know that I can blame them. I think, I mean, you would hope that somebody who's dealing with this kind of thing on a regular basis would have a better bedside manner. Right. And I think, it, so It was going to a female OB and I feel like she tried, but, you know, they're so used to having to give bad news to people all right. the time that I think it was just kind of like, well...
0: Here we go. just got to tell you what's going on. You know?
1: And so she, apo- she just apologized that it was going to end poorly and and asked if I needed some water. <laughs> that, was, that was the
0: best she could offer. <laughs> that was the all they
1: could do. And then they were like, do you want us to call your husband?
0: <laughs> so, um... So by the time I got there, you already knew there's no heartbeat. And... You know, you have that little denial experience moment there, even though you've seen the ultrasound. You know, there there's no, there is no heartbeat. There's still that sense of like, well, maybe they just missed it, right? Maybe, maybe they made a mistake, right? Maybe, maybe this will just turn around, and yeah. Because well, I
1: was already showing, and I mean,
0: this is four months into the pregnancy, yeah, almost halfway, yeah, right. So this this is not, yeah. Well, this
1: was like, and I had I already needed maternity clothes and you know, like we were
0: well we were into planning. It enough that yeah we were having a baby. Yeah. So we go through this experience and then you know, you don't just get to be done because it's like, oh, you have this baby in there that we've got to get out. And so they sent us down to the hospital lab, had us do
1: another ultrasound in which Brick House was playing
0: in the back was that the one? <laughs> yeah.
1: I will forever that yeah,
0: <laughs> that song by the Commodores, right? Yeah. I don't know. Will forever be associated with ultrasounds in yeah. my mind. Yeah. It was what a weird thing. Why did they even have music going I in the back in the know. ultrasound? Room? <laughs> I don't know. So we did that and you know, it was obvious, hey, you're not gonna have this baby. It was devastating. Yeah. I mean we had Well to-
1: yeah, and then your four four months along and they say well here are your options you know you're not um you're not probably going to miscarry on your own for quite a while it probably is not something that you should do you can't do it at home it needs to be a medical procedure or you need to come in and have the miscarriage in the hospital um, and so i had the option to do a dnc which, having already struggled with infertility prior to that, then doing a DNC is not advised because it can cause more scar tissue and more issues. Right. And so I couldn't do that. And so then we had to go and, like, schedule a time to go and
0: deliver this baby that was no longer going to live with us. Right. Um, and so you, you had your mom come. Mm -hmm. She, she flew in Mm -hmm. and then I think this is where, um, this sort of exposed the fact that we had not yet fully like evolved our relationship to where it needed to be. Well, we
1: were, I mean, we were super newly
0: married still. Less than a year and a half, I think. Yeah. You know, and my experience, you know, we, we go into the hospital I mean, you're you're going into labor and delivery, and and you know nothing good is going to come of it. Right. So it's a it's extremely painful.
1: Yeah. They and put a, they put a sticker on your door or a magnet,
0: whatever that says that says this is not a good one. Yeah. Don't don't come in here and get excited <laughs> for the mom. <laughs> yeah. I and didn't know so. that. I was I, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. They, so they do that so that the nursing staff knows. But. So we're in there. And again, we're, I mean, we're newly married and so your mom's there and she's like right by your bedside. Yeah. And basically there was not room for me over there. No. Like from both a physical and an emotional standpoint, like for whatever reasons, because our relationship hadn't evolved yet, you didn't even want me by you.
1: Yeah. I think I felt, um, I think at that point I was so ashamed that my body was so broken that I couldn't even.
0: It was like you were ashamed or embarrassed that you, you felt like you didn't want me close by because it was just a reminder. Like, I don't know, like you, you thought I was going to be upset at you or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just felt, you know, it's interesting because most people when they, uh, When they when they talk to parents about it, they they almost all universally go to the woman and say, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry," but the men don't get a lot of attention. Right. In that, and I felt so lonely. Yeah. In the process, because.
1: Well, and looking back, I feel bad that that was what happened because, like, had I been the one in your
0: shoes, I it you were totally disregarded. Yeah. yeah and so I mean, I literally got I wasn't even there when you were delivering the baby
1: were you I, I was thought, across the room yeah you I were, was like, yeah, you were in the room, twenty feet away. away, yeah, you just weren't right I by was in me. a
0: like a rocking chair, yeah, and I was just sitting there, and i didn't for some reason, I got the impression that I shouldn't even be looking. Over there in that direction. Or maybe I was just too... I think I was too traumatized. I didn't want to see it. It was scary.
1: You know? Like, we knew that we were
0: going to be delivering a deceased baby. You know? And he was really going to be tiny. Yeah. You know? I I never saw him. Did you see him? No, I didn't Neither neither of us saw the baby. Now, they took pictures. And we actually still, to this day, have a box in our house somewhere. I actually don't know where it is. But we have a box somewhere Mm -hmm. that has his little footprints... Mm-hmm. And some of the little documents from the hospital and they have photographs in a sealed envelope that we've never opened. Yeah. Of the actual baby. And it's it's been how many years now? Um like 12. Yeah. It's been 12 years and I'm like I'm waiting for the moment when I feel ready enough to open that up and deal with it. Yeah, I, I feel know. like I'm getting closer mm-hmm. personally to it, mm-hmm. and 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 like for the first decade, I didn't make any progress. Yeah, and just today, we were listening to a song about pregnancy loss, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm driving the minivan, and I like I, I have not cried like that in so long. The kids were like freaking out in the back. <laughs> they were like, um, "Is Dad okay? What like, is wrong? What's going on up there?" <laughs> I mean, I was like uncontrollably crying. And I've actually never had that experience because I am really a controlled crier. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I let out like, you know, 13... puffs of air <laughs> and then I'm done. Um, but I was absolutely losing. It. I had to, you, I, I was like, don't you ever turn that song on again while I'm driving? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it's really good. Well, you should, well, I'll put it in the show notes link to it, I'll put yeah. it in the show notes cause it really is. I mean, it's just so well done. It has so much emotional content. You know, well, I to... actually emailed the,
1: um, songwriter and, yeah. and she performed it herself and, um, it, I just said, thank you so much. This means so much to me. Like it ended up that that song is like, it tells our story totally. because it's exactly the situation that we were in. Right. And so did she respond to you?
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, she I just, didn't know that either. Yeah. She just like so many things happening in my life that I have no idea about. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Yeah. I just thanked her and, and then she just, was
1: so touched that I had reached out and let her know that it had impacted me so much. So because she wrote it about their experience. Uh Right.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you're over here delivering this baby. I mean, you're going through the physical experience, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm over here feeling just alone. Like I don't even exist. Right. Like I'm not even like part of the process. Yeah. And well, and Honestly, like
1: when you're when you're that early on in pregnancy, like they know obviously they knew that it had passed away already. So there wasn't much they could do. They they didn't have monitors on me, they didn't have anything. They had just induced the miscarriage and then were waiting for my body to process, you know, and So I was alone. Like, even having my mom there, I still, like, I wanted her there for support because she had had pregnancy loss before multiple times. But um, then I still felt super
0: isolated and alone. Right. It was just, it was an excruciating experience. And then I think it's important to note that, you know, even though the two people are having the same technical experience, right? Mm -hmm. It is such a unique experience for each person. Yeah. And the grieving experience is just different. It Mm -hmm. just depends on the person. So I remember at one point in the process, and this was so important to me, right? This is our little boy. It's our first little boy. I mean, you know, he's got hands and feet and, and eyes and a nose and all this stuff. I mean, he's a person, right? Mm-hmm. I went to the store to go pick up some groceries or something, like stuff to bring you back. Yeah, you went to get food. Drinks or food or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the grocery store and I, and I and I see the toy aisle and I'm like, I'm buying this kid a toy. Mm-hmm. I'm buying him a toy that none of our future children ever get a touch. Right. And so I bought him a little, like, $3 Nerf-style football, mm-hmm. like foam football, left it in the plastic, and it's still, I believe, in the box mm-hmm. with all of his other stuff, and that is his toy. That was really important for me to do. It was, like, the symbolic gift yeah. that I was offering to him, and uh, that was a, a really important part of my grieving process. Another important part of my grieving process was actually telling my story. And I told that story probably, like, 20 different times. Yeah. Um, And I was really fortunate because I was surrounded by people who were in training to become therapists. And so they were like professional listeners, you know? Mm -hmm. At that point, they were like pseudo-professional because we weren't getting paid yet. But, but you know, becoming professional listeners. And so I told the story to, you know, the majority of my classmates. And I told the story over and over and over again. And in the telling of the story, I began to like i i began to heal i began to make sense of what was going on and f- i felt supported there were other people that would not want to tell the story to yeah. anybody i was not super excited to do that i don't know how many times you told it it was way fewer than i did i could not open my mouth without crying right. at that point like i called my boss
1: so i was still working full time i'd been working from home on bed rest. And then I got released from bed rest, took everything back to work, went and found out that I wasn't going to have this baby. And then I had to call him and tell him (laughs) that, that I was, had to go to the hospital, that I had to take work off. And Then I like very naively thought, oh, well, I'll just go to the hospital and I'll do this and then I'll be totally fine. I won't be pregnant anymore. So I'll just go to work the
0: next day. And did you actually go to work the next day? I went to
1: work and I was there for like 30 minutes and he walked in the office and asked me how I was and I started sobbing. And so he told me I needed to go Go home home. and rest.
0: (laughs) And, And I think that's like the product of being a 21 year old or whatever. Yeah, you know, like just so yeah. young and not really, and and nobody told us. Like yeah, nobody said, uh, "Yo, don't go to work the next day." Right, or, or like, you
1: know, it may have been two days later, but it was still so fresh and yeah. so just so bad. You
0: know, and I think you know the fact that we were grieving differently made it really difficult on our relationship Mm -hmm. because you know, you're doing things at different times. Like there are times when you just want to unload all the emotions and the other person's like trying to steal themselves and trying to survive. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's times when one person's angry Yeah, and they're in that phase and the other person's like, what the heck, you know, why, why are you flipping out so much, you know? Yeah. And that, Well, I think I went through a lot of time where I
1: had a lot of anger and Toward... A lot of it was directed at you.
0: <laughs> a lot of it was directed at me. And a lot of it was directed toward other parents, people yeah. who were pregnant.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, I remember walking around feeling like I actually wanted to punch people in the face who were having children. Yeah. Like, it would, it just was such a visceral reaction. Like, I would look at people and I would be like, that is supposed to be me. And it would make me so mad. (laughs) And so, you know, at the same time as making me just so, so upset and sad. Right. And my sadness tends to come out in frustration and anger anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Violent
0: anger. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a fact. Uh, And so, and I do want to rewind back because there was another experience that, you know, you would never even think about that you would have to deal with. And it was, like, the worst decision to make oh, in the yeah. shortest amount of time. Yeah. And, like, you can't take it back. Mm-hmm. But we're in there, and they walk in, and they are you can tell they're trying to be, like... Gentle. Gentle about <laughs> mm-hmm. it. But, like, there's really... It's a hard thing to say. Yeah. But they're basically like, hey, here in Texas, since you weren't a, over 20 weeks, you actually have a choice. You can either... Bury the bay because if it's over twenty, they make you bury. They make you have a burial. You have to have by burial. a burial plot. And everything. But if but if it's less than twenty, you can basically decide. And you know, without getting too graphic here, you they dispose of the yeah, body. Yeah, they say. Would you like the hospital to dispose of the body, or would or do you, you want like to have a burial? Bury it right. And so. and it was and we literally had like fifteen minutes. Oh yeah. To decide.
1: Yeah, they were like, "We'll leave you
0: alone while you make your decision." <laughs> And then suddenly these two kids who've, who have not had to make that type of hard decision in their life mm-hmm. and who are kind of at odds with each other because the grieving process is not going well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we're still in the hospital. We're still like, I don't know, in shock, in trauma.
1: Yeah. we have Well, to make- and this is just post me having my mom be by me. Instead of you, right? You know, so you were offended,
0: <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was not happy. Yeah, let's let's be honest. So it was not here. good.
1: I do like my mom deserves major props in that situation because she did not insert her opinion.
0: That is true. Yeah, like, she just, she
1: said, "I will. I'm gonna go for a walk, and I'll come
0: back in a few minutes." That I had never thought about that, but that actually was really impressive. Yeah, that she pulled that off. Yeah, so. There we are, trying to make the decision, and basically it's like, okay, are we going to bear, uh, spend the money, mm-hmm. and the time, and the resources, and bury this fetus in the state of Texas, mm-hmm. in Abilene, where we would normally never come back again, because we're just there for graduate school. Right. We've got no family there. We have no reason to go there. Yeah. Are we going to have a baby buried in this city? hmm Right and like then you have to go back. Right. You can't just be like, oh, I got a baby buried there. I've never been there ever since. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, and I think at that point it also would have like been very necessary to then name the baby and we weren't at
0: that stage yet. I wasn't ready. And so at all to name the baby. Yeah. Like it was that was going to make it more real than I think I could tolerate. Yeah. Because there was a part of me that still wanted the baby to be just like a pile of molecules mm-hmm. that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, so that I didn't have to deal with the reality of the loss of an actual child. Yeah. I was not ready for that. In fact, I was really angry because you wanted to name him. Mm-hmm. And I was like unreasonably upset about that. Yeah. It felt like some weird, violent thing to me. Yeah. You know? Even we already had a list. Yeah, we had names that we liked. Yeah, you know, that we talked about stuff. But so then the other option was, I mean, then and like as a parent, you can't even think about that. Like, dis when you hear the word dispose, you
1: mm-hmm. know,
0: like you can think of a million ways that can happen, and none of them are good. Yeah, you know, and so then you have- so you have to live with the decision of somebody disposed of my child, mm-hmm. or I've got a baby. That's buried in a city that I wasn't planning on making like putting into my,
1: you know, life. making part of my life. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah,
0: well, and the expenses, like, cause it wasn't. And we were like cheap. dirt poor. Yeah, like impoverished. We were making I don't know. You were making ten bucks an hour, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, I do wish though. Like, so I mean, I think there was a lot of torn feelings about it on both of our parts. You know, you really didn't want to admit that it was like a real thing. Right. I I was totally in denial. And so we ended up deciding that we were just going to have the hospital take care of it. it. And, um, and so then like they came in, they come in and they ask you all these questions when you're in this like horrible situation. And, so you don't even remember most of it. Right. And so they asked me, well, do you want us to take pictures? And I said no. <laughs> and my mom told them yes. And just to seal them in an envelope I for have, us. I have no recollection of that. Yeah. I was totally out of it. Yeah. I told them I didn't want pictures. And, and my mom was like, oh, you
0: probably should. And you know what? Yeah. I'm so glad they did. Mm-hmm. Even though I've never seen them, the fact that they exist. Yeah. Like is... Oddly comforting to me to know that if I ever want to, we can look at it. I can go look because you know what? Their memories are so interesting because I think it's it would be easy to go back and be like, "Did that even happen?" Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. did that even really happen? Because it was such a blur, yeah, and stuff. And so to have the I guess the relics or whatever of of the event, Mm -hmm. it's comforting to know that they're there. And and I've never done it. And I don't know. I don't know if we'll. I don't know if we'll ever open it. Maybe we will, but I think we won't. We certainly won't do it until we are both fully and you know totally ready. Yeah. Neither of us would ever go and open that envelope and independent of the other. No. Person. No, that would be, be like that a, would a feel like a betrayal. betrayal. Yeah, it really yeah. would. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that would be like w- one person being at the birth and the
0: other one not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Which unfortunately we know <laughs> a number of people who. that. <laughs> <laughs> done that like oh i got stuff going on have fun having that baby which i yeah. don't know. i'm like <laughs> instant divorce <laughs> i don't get that but
1: yeah so we had to make that decision and looking back on it like a long time later
0: and five children later yeah i would make a different decision i would too absolutely without a doubt i i would have i would have begged borrowed stole stolen the money robbed a bank whatever <laughs> whatever i had to do yeah i buried the baby there and then flown back every five years yeah so then you know fast forward not that long later then we're faced with this other terrible decision you know and like when you when you dig into infertility and pregnancy loss you got these kids these young kids that are having to make this extremely uh, mature adult decisions mm-hmm. that have lasting lifelong effects and it feels kind of unfair yeah you know yeah. it's like it, it Life just has this weird way of being so unfair because you make some of the most important decisions when you're so inexperienced, when you don't even have a prefrontal (laughs) cortex fully developed, you know, you're, you're just doing the best you can.
1: Yeah. My, my OB in Utah. So I went, we went in for a consult and he said, you need to not try again until you've had this surgery to remove the tissue that has no blood flow because essentially it's considered dead tissue. And with every pregnancy, there would be a risk of the placenta growing over onto it and then the baby would die.
0: Right. And so... But but then, and this was the torturous part of the decision because he goes, there is a chance that if we do this surgery, it will render you permanently... Infertile. Infertile. Mm-hmm. Incapable of having a baby, right? Yeah. And that's the thing that stuck out to me. I like I immediately panicked. I was like we cannot do a surgery that has a risk of permanent infertility. That's I mean and that was one of the most difficult decisions you and I have ever made together. And so my response about the whole thing when you had an opinion was this
1: is not your body. You don't get to make this choice. You don't even have you don't <laughs> yeah
0: yeah your opinion is irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one thing I think is really important to cover here as we're you know finishing up and I do want to talk about like where we're at today, because I we're still in the middle mm-hmm. of difficult decisions around babies. Yeah. Like it never ends. We've been mm-hmm. married for thirteen years. It'll be fourteen in March, mm-hmm. right? And it's still we're still with it. But I think so many well meaning people, so many family and friends that really thought maybe that they were helping out or they were trying to do something nice or say something that would help us, said so many things that were, like, deeply offensive, Mm -hmm. hurtful. Just maybe felt disregarding Yeah, of the experience that we'd had. So the first thing I'm going to say is, like, trust people. If they say, you know, I'd rather not talk to anybody, don't be like, well, I know that you... I know that you... That's what you're saying. But really, I'm going to just... <laughs> but I, I know, know what better. you need. Yeah, you know? <laughs> no. Because
1: really, like that was damaging to my decision-making process going forward. I know that their hearts were in the right place, but I
0: then felt like I had to put on a front for people. I think the, the major recommendation we're going to make is that saying I'm sorry is one of the best things you can do. Yeah. Because it's true... It's heartfelt, and you're not interpreting, you're not telling a story, you're not trying to fix it or make it better. Yeah. Or because some people get offended when you try to be like, oh, I know what you're feeling because here's my experience. Yeah. Because it's almost like, look, I don't care what your experience is. That's where some people, not everybody's going to feel that way, but some people are going to be like, It's not that I don't care what your experience is. It's just like right now, I cannot put energy into your experience. (laughs) Yeah. I'm still too deeply in the middle of mine. I'm trying to keep my head above water,
1: and I can't try and help other people. Or I
0: can't even absorb your
1: story right now.
0: Like, I don't have room for it, right?
1: Like, your empathy circuits are full. Yeah.
0: So, (laughs) I I think you just say, I'm so sorry. And if you're going to ask a question, just say, is there anything I can do for you? And most of the time, they're going to say, no, or I don't know yeah you know and then fine then come back a few days later and say I'm just double checking on you right is there anything I can do for you yeah kind of thing
1: well it's one of the most like powerful things that I recommend to people when they are talking to somebody you know this this experience gave me a a view or window into the experiences of people who experience all kinds of loss. Right. And so one of the most powerful things that you can do is say, I'm so sorry you're experiencing this. I'm here if you ever want to talk about it. I'm here even if you don't want to talk about it and you just want to sit quietly with someone.
0: Yeah. I just know that I care about you and Mm -hmm. I'm here for you. And I'm here for you. Yeah. That's that's big.
1: Yeah. And I've seen, there have been a lot of women that um, have said it was really helpful for them when a, a really close friend remembered the day that they had their baby and sent them, like, a birthday card for the baby. Yeah. Or gave them something on. Because then after that, like, we had, what, one or two Mother's Days between... Like having that experience and then having having another baby. baby. And, and so like these other women have had people that have given them something for Mother's Day to commemorate the fact that they are a mother already. Yeah. And so that was something that other, like other people that I know have said was really a healing
0: thing for them. Yeah. Just knowing someone cares. Yeah. And that they're there for you. I think you have to be extremely cautious if you're going to make statements about the meaning of it, or you know, anytime you're trying to like make it better or help people feel better.
1: There's no way to make it better. You're
0: you're, you're walking in on in dangerous dangerous territory. Yeah, I think one of the most uh, harmful you know starting points, and I feel like Brene Brown has said this. I, I feel like I've heard her say this before, but. At least, dot, dot, dot. Right. You know, at least you know you can get pregnant. Yeah. At least it wasn't later in the pregnancy. Yeah. At least the baby didn't die after the baby was born.
1: Yeah. At least it wasn't a stillbirth, you know? And it, when in reality for me, that's what it felt like. Oh, absolutely. You know, like it was considered a late term
0: pregnancy loss um, or an early stillbirth yeah so, so if you find yourself saying at least, I think you're pretty much guaranteed to be on the wrong path, yeah <laughs> because because what you're saying is it could be worse, and you know, when someone's in the middle of pain, saying it could be worse is like probably the dumbest thing.
1: <laughs> just just maybe a thoughtless thing,
0: yeah, like maybe I'm being it, a little harsh yeah. <laughs> it, it's not like super well thought out and 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 so I think you just have to be careful. you have to be so careful. Because typically when people are saying those types of things, they're either like processing their own stuff about it. Mm -hmm. They're like, wait a minute, what if, what if that happened to me? Like, how would I cope with that? Right. Which you can't know. There's no way to know. Yeah. Or you're saying what you think would help you feel better. Yeah. You know, or, or you're just trying to make yourself feel better because you are so overwhelmed by the pain of it that you're trying to say something that helps you cope. But yeah, so everybody's experience is unique, and yet there's there's similarities enough that I think you can you know you can say everybody feels this powerful sense of, hey, something feels unfair, mm-hmm. when this hope of you know the mo- most of humanity to have children, when that is uh, taken away from you or uh, altered, or whatever the experience is, it's so difficult. I think one of the most ex- difficult experiences that some people ever experience in their lives, and that uh, that can be experienced by people. There, there are certainly tons of painful experiences, mm-hmm. without a doubt, mm-hmm. but it's up there. Any loss is profound for every
1: for every person. Yeah, like they may, they may not see it to the extent in their own life that. Other people do, but for every single person, loss is profound. And so it doesn't matter wh- who they're losing, what they're losing. Anything like that is, c- can be considered a trauma and it is something that they like need to be
0: able to say, like, this is my experience. Right. You know? And so here's how I want to, I think, finish this, uh, this, this particular topic in the podcast is be kind to and understanding of every single person you meet um, regardless of whether they're sitting in the middle of a loss or not because 12 years later the loss is still profound it's still it's still there and I think probably every single person that you ever come into contact with has experienced some type of loss in their life that is this profound this intense and you just don't know because people don't go shooting that out there to everybody and, and, and talking about it. Sometimes it's something that the very few people uh, know about because maybe it's not something they like to talk about or they're still processing it. So be kind to people, uh, and especially when you are, you know, confronting or you know a, a, a recent loss with a person or you're helping them deal with it, be patient and remember to say, "I'm here. I care about you. I whatever you need." I will support you in that. And I think that's your best response. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much everybody for uh, for joining in. And this was a very, again, a very personal uh, topic, but I think really, really important. I've been thinking about this for a long time since we started the podcast and, and really wanted to to put this out there because I think it, it affects so many people. And uh, thank you again. Uh, I, I will never stop saying this, but thank you to the people who continue to leave the wonderful reviews uh, on the, on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you're you're putting those reviews. It's uh, I, I read all of them and I feel so happy when I see you know so many kind reviews. It makes a huge difference. What the truth is when you look at a podcast, you're gonna look at the number of of reviews and ratings, and you're gonna look at the reviews and ratings, and that's gonna tell you whether you want to put energy into even listening to the first episode. And so when for all of you you know, wonderful people who are putting the, the five stars and the wonderful, nice things that you're saying that helps the next person who comes, uh, accidentally upon the podcast and says, is this worth listening to it at least gets them in the door and lets us then, you know, do our thing. And, and then they can decide from there if it's something want to keep listening to. So thank you. You're so kind. We're just going to keep doing this as, as long as we're helping people, we will keep, uh, recording these episodes and thanks everybody. Appreciate it. And, uh, we'll talk to you soon.